You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season three, educators discuss safe, welcoming, and inclusive schools. Your host for season three is OEA member and school counselor, Leonie Bannister. Well, hello, Jeff. I'm here with my friend here, Jeff, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his role in uh, our educational system here in Oregon. Jeff, would you share with us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am currently a CTE program support TOSA um, for the Beaverton School District. Um, and then I'm also um, one of the trauma-informed professional development facilitators for OEA. Um, and then in addition to that, I do some consulting work through an organization called Project Lead the Way. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I want to hear about all of these things. Tell us a little bit about your trauma-informed professional development role. What does that mean to you? What does that look like in OEA? So one of the things that we saw, uh, especially during the pandemic, is student behavior is often a manifestation of, of something else and not the cause. And I think that's one of the things that's been really important uh, in my role as a professional development facilitator is how can we actually support students and not necessarily blame them for their behavior or not necessarily use their behavior as a scapegoat, um, but figure out what are some of the root causes of those behaviors and then ultimately, how do we get them to be successful in the classroom? And so those root cause behaviors, are you using a um, some sort of a program or is this by observation? Or what does that look like for a, a person working in a school? Yeah, so the OEA actually has four different courses that we teach um, with trauma-aware, trauma-responsive, um, trauma-sensitive. And looking at how do we actually connect with kids uh, help them process what they're kind of struggling with and emotionally or also behaviorally. And then also look at what are some of the supports that we need to have in place as far as a school system so they can actually learn. And so um, one of the ultimate goals is, is basically figuring out how can we bas- like look at what does it take for each student to be successful. And so part of that is going to be collaboration with peers and colleagues to figure out what their triggers are. Um, part of it's going to be to learn about uh now, I use the, the boiling water analogy, like if you're boiling spaghetti. Um, you know, if our students are perpetually at that 98 degrees Celsius, um, they're going to boil over, right? And it's not going to be pretty. And what are the things that tools that they can have to be successful um, so we can bring them down to more of a low simmer so they're not at that 98 degrees Celsius? And so ultimately looking at what are the skills that the students need? Um, how can we collaborate with our peers and colleagues? Um, and then what are the systems that we can be in place that could be triggering as well? And so it's actually a multitude of different factors that can actually come in and help with the students be successful in the classroom. And you mentioned that there's, it's, I, I think I heard three separate courses that teachers or OEA members can take. Could you maybe describe those in a just a brief detail, differentiate the three so we have an understanding of those? Yeah, so really looking at the, the sequence, um, we have trauma-aware and trauma-sensitive. Um, trauma-aware is, is usually where a lot of our teachers start, and it's basically an opportunity to um, look at uh, the vocabulary and terminology um, regarding uh, 
trauma and making sure that we all that we basically have the same foundation in, in working vocabulary. Um, trauma sensitive goes a little bit deeper and, and it looks a little bit more of our reflective practice and figuring out what are the systems in place um, that basically cause uh, trauma to perpetuate. Um, and also, too, what are some of the things that the school system does that kind of like hinders the student's ability to learn and, and navigate through this part? And then we also have trauma leadership and trauma responsive. And, and basically, those are going to take it to the next level is how do we look at the application? Like we have this basic vocabulary. We've had an opportunity to look at our reflective practice. But then how do we actually use that um, to basically create a difference in the system and not not just look at it from that student by student perspective, but look at holistically from the school perspective, how do we help all students? Oh, that sounds so interesting. Thank you for sharing all that. I think many of our members would benefit from a course like that. I'm interested in that myself. You mentioned quite a bit like the the distinction or, or I should say like the difference between impacting a system, but then also obviously starting with our students that are navigating or have navigated trauma. Could you tell us, maybe give us some key ingredients that you think are important, like in a learning space? So it might be a classroom, it might be a small group. Like, could you highlight a few that you think are ideal for our members to know about? So one of the things that is unique about trauma is that it actually can affect students from multiple uh, demographics and backgrounds. And and so one of the things that is challenging is it can actually manifest itself in our students in different ways. Um, So when we think about trauma, we we tend to think of those students who are explosive, right? And they do the room clears and um, they're going to be really disruptive. But also understanding, too, that trauma can actually manifest itself in two other ways. Um, one, it could be, again, almost like a um, self-harm, um, again, or a self-isolation. That we also see, too, it, it can actually lead to students having significant confidence issues and just immediately shut down. Um, and so if you go back to the fight, flight, or freeze um, kind of mentality and, and looking at, you know, how the limbic brain uh, system works, we really can see that this explains sometimes when you have students that just freeze and they don't move on or they get stuck academically. Um, or the students that kind of emotionally implode, um, or, or also those students that emotionally explode. And so really trying to understand that trauma can present itself in a variety of different ways. And in my background and some of the trauma that I endured, it, it actually manifested its, well, itself in um, a, a sense of perfectionism. And I think that's one of the things that was really tough is, you know, a room clear is disruptive and we want to shut that down. But if you are... If you're trying to manifest in a, in a manner where you focus on being perfect and have that like unhealthy perfectionism, in many ways, that's almost embraced and encouraged by our society and culture. Mm-hmm. And so trying to rewrite some of those norms um, and understanding that what and creating a greater awareness that what are some of the ways that trauma presents itself and giving our, our educators just kind of a cue of at least having the question in the back of their mind of thinking is, is trauma part of the issue here at play? Mm-hmm. So asking that question before moving on to try to assess the the function of the behavior it might be like, is there something that may be contributing that's like the root cause of this inability to regulate themselves or ha- handle any sort of adversity in the classroom? Yeah, exactly. Because I think that the hard part with trauma, right, is like because it manifests itself in different ways. Um, it, we need to take the time to at least pause. And before we try to 
fix the situation because educators want to fix things and sometimes we want quick resolution. But really look at the situation from a holistic point of view um, and, and look at what are some potential red flags that we're missing along the way. Um, what are some of those cues that this is, you know, an unhealthy sense of perfectionism or the constant shutting down um, when anything gets difficult or challenging? Or the what are the things that are going to happen that would necess- necessitate a room clear? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all questions I think we just need to pause and kind of reflect of what is the trend or pattern here at play. Um, and then we're able to create solutions to help students be successful academically. Oh, that's so interesting. You mentioned um and this is a word I feel like you said several times, a holistic point of view. Could you maybe kind of expand upon that? That's an interesting perspective to think from an educator's um, point of view. I'd like to hear more about that. So one of the things that we talk about in the, the first two um, trauma classes are adverse, basically childhood experiences or ACEs. But we also look at the community experiences as well. And what are some of the things that are present in the community that are not necessarily the direct causing, again, the trauma, but they basically pers- uh, allow or facilitate trauma to occur in, in a greater or easier manner. And so mm-hmm. um, we see things like poverty um, is definitely something that can be there or a lack of access to health care or parenting resources, um, lack of stable housing. Uh, of course, we, we can't underestimate too the powerful uh, the the powerful nature of racism and discrimination as well. And how are these things basically in the community uh, perpetuate this level of trauma and these cycles that continue on overall? And so, I think one of the things that was really helpful for a lot of teachers is understanding too that instead of actually just trying to address th- these systems from a student by student perspective. Um, but to really give them opportunity to analyze their specific communities and look at what are the things that are unique to their town or their the community that kind of perpetuate this trauma to go on. And, and what are some of the things that we could do essentially to like, you know, put something to a spoke in the bicycle wheel so we don't just perpetuate this trauma, but we can develop systems from a community perspective too so we can get everyone on board to help the students be successful academically, but also be, again, you know, great human beings that actually can be successful in society as well. That is so interesting. Thank you for sharing that. It makes me think about having, well, all of us have navigated COVID at this point and the pandemic. And I wonder how just taking that broader look at our community and I mean, our world and how that has impacted everyone's perspective and just weaving that into every learner's story and even teachers. I mean, I know I show up differently since post-pandemic. <laughs> so, when I think, and one of the analogies we use to teach that or to help the teachers learn that concept is an image of an oak tree. Um, and if you think about an oak tree, it has a significant root system. I mean, have you ever seen a, a root tree top, uh, a oak tree topple? Its root ball is pretty significant, right? Um, but we look at our community and we and we see those scenes that you know, the, the mass violence and the shootings, or we see discrimination, or we see the, the homeless camps. And we are, we are able to see all those branches and, and those leaves and that stuff above the surface. But one of the things we really want to challenge our teachers to consider about what are the things below the surface and the roots that allow those things to grow. Um, and that's, I think, one of the advantages of looking things holistically is, um, are we just basically trying to do a quick fix and like prescribe a medication to fix a specific symptom? Or are we trying to figure out the root cause that so these things don't just perpetuate in our communities over and over and over again? Mm-hmm. 
it it leads me actually to my next question for you because I feel like you've probably asked that question of yourself when you were a teacher and thought like what is I'm kind of speaking for you here, but I imagine you're experiencing creating that the uh, biomedical science pathway at your school is a helping support or create a broader learning opportunity for some of your students in your school. Could you speak a little bit about your experience there and how that might contribute to what you were hoping to create a safe, welcoming and inclusive learning environment? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because right before the pandemic hit, we actually were featured on Channel 2 News um, as mm-hmm. an educator's action. And, and it specifically addressed how we had so many students who came from places of trauma. And one of the mm-hmm. students that was featured in that story um, had been a refugee of two different wars before coming to Beaverton um, and coming into my program. And I think that's one of the things that I realized we needed to do something different in my program. Uh a lot of our um, students at my district um, and a lot of the students in my school were diverse. So in, in Beaverton, we have 101 different languages spoken by our students. Um, my school was one of the few white minority high schools in Oregon. Um, and it was really interesting with working with that population and having so many people who were students who were uh, refugees um, in areas that were in conflicts of Eastern Europe, um, also conflicts from you know the Middle East. Um, and or Afghanistan as well, and and just trying to look at that that context is something that was really new to me as an educator because these students had lived through some pretty significant horrors, um, and trying to keep them motivated and trying to get them to be successful academically was a challenge because I found that a lot of my students would get stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. um, and they would just immediately shut down, and so. I found that I had to be really creative on how to build a sense of confidence in them um, and also and help them basically develop their own sense of resiliency. And so I mean, one thing that was easier for me, though, is, again, I was working with 16, 17, 18 year olds. Right. So um, these are students who had definitely had developed some significant life skills on how to overcome some of the situations they're in and able to process it. But one of the things I did is I, I turned my room classroom into almost like a Starbucks coffee shop um, mentality. And in days we didn't have labs, um, we had the overhead lights, like the light bulbs, like you would see in Olive Garden. Um, I also, too, had a coffee stand um, where students can get coffee. Um, I use lamps in my room versus overhead lighting and use mm. full spectrum lighting. Um, and then also, too, it, because of the, co- like you said, it, with, I started the biomedical science pathway, um, I had... Uh, medical stools, and I also had exercise bikes in my classroom. Um, and I found that one of the things that was really helpful is creating a norm that if you could tell that you were struggling at that point, um, what did you need to be successful in that moment? So I had standing desks in the back of my classroom um, where students could just relocate if they needed to. Um, I had students who created um, basically a, a, their own kind of desk on top of these exercise bikes. So they would just type away on mm-hmm. their Chromebooks while they're actually on exercise bikes. And even too, like, I know that they had the wobble chairs like in a grade school and they don't have that in a high school equivalent, but the medical stools were really helpful in just helping um, these students basically just even move side to side a little bit. Um, also too, just created a norm as well that uh, when some of my students, I could tell that they just needed a break. Um, initially they were hesitant, but I said, you need to go get a drink of water. Um, you just need to get a little bit of movement. And I think that's been cool because I was able to take the biomedical standpoint of understanding human anatomy and also apply it to things that they're learning as well. Because, you know, when we look at it, you know, our 
our arteries can pump and they constrict and they pump blood, but our veins don't. Um, our veins actually rely on muscle movement to basically pump the blood back up to the to heart and to the brain. And so when you have students that are stationary a long time, right, and sitting in chairs, it really does affect their ability to cope and their ability to focus in the classroom. And so trying to create a community where they can actually feel like they have some movement and they can actually feel like they um, can do what they need to do to regulate themselves. And again, um, it, it paid off because in the 10 years that I had taught in a secondary setting, um, seven years at that school, um, I never had a single student fail my class. Um, mm -hmm. It was dual credit. It was very rigorous. But one of the things that um, happened was just that we just created a culture where failure wasn't even an option. Um, and it worked out really well. Yeah, that's so right. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing all that. I feel like I've learned from you today and I appreciate all of your, your wealth of knowledge around this area. Are there any resources that you just top of mind that you think of that our members would benefit from? You've mentioned a whole host of things, but are there things that you would like to share with us today? Yeah, I think one of the books, and I, I don't have the author's name um, off the top of my head memorized. I, I probably should because we refer to it a lot. But um, there's a book called Body Keeps the Score. Mm. Um, and I think that it was really insightful. Um, and it's actually one of the things, too, like when we had a few discussions with teachers that they have heard of it and, and um, really connect with it. Uh, but I think the other thing, too, is, is honestly with resources actually should be focused more for our staff. And for our certified mm -hmm. teachers as well, because one of the analogies that we teach in the class is that if the, the building's quote on fire um, and, the, and the adults are on fire and they're panicking, then the, the kids are ultimately going to be emotional sponges of the product of the environment around them. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really interesting. Um, and one of the things that was uh, um, really disheartening. So I but in, in many ways too, this this work that with OEA has, has prepped me to be part of our district flight team in Beaverton. Um, and in February, um, one of our fifth grade teachers um, was murdered by her husband. And um, I had the experience of having to tell her students. I was one of two teachers in the room, um, along with our school psychiatrist, our school psychologist, um, to tell their, the students that their teacher had passed away um, the night before. Um, and it was really interesting to see because we talk about this stuff in practice, right, with the, the BLCs. But it was really interesting to see firsthand. So because the adults were all dysregulated, right, and they were in the state of chaos, um, that that sense of chaos actually percolated down to kindergartners and first graders mm -hmm. who didn't even know who this teacher was. Right. But because the, the environment, rightfully so, was in this deregulated state, uh, it really created a, a, an environment where kids could be, be that emotional sponge and they just were able to become the basically – adjust themselves to be the, you know, the, the temperature barometer of the room. Mm -hmm. um, and the kids started, some of these high flyers that were kindergartners and first graders were emotionally blown out and they didn't even know about the situation, but they were just able to sense it. So mm -hmm. I think having the understanding too, that um, if our teachers and our staff don't take care of themselves um, and they don't focus on their own needs. And that's one of the things that we talk about in this training as well is when you're looking at how do you help students with trauma um, we also have to admit and look that many teachers have um, experienced trauma themselves and mm -hmm. and understanding too, like one of the things we, we talk about when we first start is who are the adults that you can use for support through this process? Mm -hmm. um, who are going to be what supports you have? And so most teachers actually have access through the CAP plan where they get access to three to six 
um, for your counseling appointments. Um, how do you actually to like work with, you know, your, your people at your school, like your counselor um, or social worker, they could actually help you to find resources because even as us being educated in the system, it's hard for us to even figure out what resources are available for us as an adults. Um, and so we actually do a lot of really important, like supporting our teachers and trying to figure out, we might we're going to talk about some difficult stuff in this VLC and in these classes. Mm-hmm. And how do you make sure that you are taking care of yourself? Because if we're not regulating our own emotions. Um, we're, the kids are going to just be the sponges and, and suck up that emotional um, environment that we exude. And so that's another thing I would say that's really important um, is making sure that we all have those support systems in place because most of us um, are, are hypocrites when it comes to self-care because we do it in the name of helping students. But in many ways, if we don't take care of our students or take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to take care of our students because they're going to be able to read our stress level. That's so right. I totally agree. It's almost like it's like the contagion theory of like, if I'm elevated or um, I'm dysregulated because of something that has happened, my students are going to pick up on that and they will just meet me right where I'm at. So what is it you need as a teacher or I need as a teacher to co-regulate during that difficult behavior or emotional escalation? Totally and I think too, we also have to be concept and we, we discuss the, the nature of parallel traumas. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that's interesting about the, the book about because body keeps the score is mm-hmm. we, we think that we move on from a lot of our past traumas as adults or we have the skills necessary. But when you have a, a student that, you know, like specifically in your class that had been sexually assaulted and you've been a victim of sexual assault yourself, um, or when you have to do as a teacher a call to DHS for a kid who had been you know, physically abused by a trusted adult in their life, but you had, you went through that same experience. Um, trying to also understand that we have to be careful of our own traumas and we also need to be able to address, we also need to be able to address the misconception that we moved on from them and mm-hmm. our body does keep track of that stuff. And so it's really easy for us to be in an environment with kids that have experienced so much unique experiences that we're going to come across kids that have a unique experience like we have. Um, and we got to be cautious, too, of how are we responding to those situations, because sometimes adults and teachers can respond not as a result of the situation that uh, the students, you know, emotional blow up, but it's more of a limbic system response for their own trauma as well. That's exactly right. As a counselor, I've, I've found myself on many occasions referring a teacher or a staff member to our employee assistance program because of something they've navigated here at school. I mean, it really does have to be safe and welcoming for everybody in order for it to function. So I, I totally agree. Is there any last, I, I really want to thank you for your time today, but I, I don't want to leave anything off the table because you're such a wealth of knowledge. Is there any last, you know, information you feel like our members would benefit from? I think one of the most important things that I've learned this journey is when we think about why does a student act a certain way? um, Trauma is usually not one of the first solutions that um, we come up with as adults in the room. And we really think that we want to blame something else or we want to look at something else. And I think trauma is one of those things that we, by accident, actually forget. And for me personally, I mean, the reason why I got involved in this work is, um, like I mentioned earlier, we adopted two kids from Ethiopia. And my my older son, uh, my middle child, um, was a street kid in a really rough part of Ethiopia. And it was interesting because the adoption company actually lied on his paperwork um, and basically hid it. So we really had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And um, I think that... I don't think we would have done anything differently, 
but the, the paperwork said he was energetic. Um, and we found out in that realm that energetic was a code word for traumatized. But when we look at it too, and, and really through this journey that is really important is, um, my son is a testament to a great school system. Um, two parents who are very tenacious about his mental health, um, to, and also very thankful um, for having health insurance because um, his medical mm-hmm. expenses in the first six years were about $3 million. Um, but really looking at, when we look at these experiences our students have, um, and we're looking at what they've endured, um, I think it's it's way too easy as a teachers to think of it that you know, a student is a lost cause and they're, they're hopeless in the situation. And how do we get out of that um, mindset that these students are going to be permanent victims in a way too, because some of our students have endured some of the worst, um, you know, of human nature. I mean, by my, by the age of six, my son had been um, stabbed. He'd been caught on fire. He watched his mom die of HIV. Like some of the most tremendous horrors that you would ever experience by as a young kid. But I think one of the things that the, in our classes, the OEA, we really talked about is the three E's. Um, and the three E's really come back to the standpoint of, that you, the event um, and the experience um, really doesn't end up with the same effect. And I think that's one of the things we really have to understand is having supportive adults in the room, um, being able to engage in tough conversations, um, that we can have kids that have gone through horrible experiences and horrible events, but we know that this, the single most important aspect for them to be able to be successful human beings in life and be successful in school is the amount of a positive adult relationships in their life. And I, and I share that story about my son because, you know, the OHSU neuropsych ward said he was the most traumatized kid he they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, he graduated last year um, and is now a freshman uh, in college. Um, he graduated despite all the adversity he had um, with no longer being eligible for special ed. Um, as for emotionally disturbed, no longer being special, uh, eligible for special ed as OHI, no longer being identified as ELD because he passes ELPA, um, no longer having to be on medication. Um, he got the skills and he got the experience, the skills and developed the experiences necessary where he can function as an adult in society. And I think that's one of the things that we really have to remind ourselves as adults is, is sometimes we feel like we're, you know, like we're, we're bailing the Titanic out with a bucket. But in many ways, too, we just have to understand that mm. it's about the collective effort of a community of adults surrounding the kids and supporting them and encouraging them. And that's what's going to make the difference in their lives. And so that's the thing I, I think that's most important is there's times where I had to tell people not to feel sorry for my son and they had to have expectations. There's times where I had to say, you need to have some grace in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, all in all, I think that we need to realize that if my son who can have experienced the worst of humanity be where he is today because of amazing educators and, um, and, you know, adults who knew how to navigate the systems. Um, they're there. And, and granted, I live in Yamhill County and, and our mental health services are not as good as you would have access. We had to drive to, um, a specialist in Portland, um, mm. pretty, almost weekly. So I, even with us, with geographic and having to look through those and, and, and accessing services for him, but he made it and he mm-hmm. is going to be successful and I think that's one of the things we have to remind ourselves as educators is we are, in essence, buying time um, and we are, in essence, and, and making those investments. Um, and I think it's really easy to discount what little we can do to change from the horrors of experience 
But again, that goes back to the event and the experience does not necessarily have to have the same effect. Mm -hmm. well, that's an excellent way to end our conversation. Your son's journey is, is it's, uh, all, it's like terrifying and, and inspiring all at the same time. What a wonderful group of people he's had wrapped around him. And I just wish him the best. And I think the people that work with you, Jeff, have got to just soak up all of your wonderful knowledge. My goodness, you're a gem. I, I want to thank you today for joining us. And um, I, I just appreciate what you're doing for our students and, and your son and, and people around you. I, I imagine they appreciate you as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.